Daniel chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Now in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. Then the king gave the command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king, and the king said to them, I have had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants a dream, and we will give the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, My decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, you shall be cut in pieces, and your houses shall be made an ash heap. However, if you tell the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts, rewards, and great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. They answered again and said, Let the king tell his servants a dream, and we will give its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know for certain that you would gain time, because you see that my decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me, there is only one decree for you. For you have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time has changed. Therefore tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can give me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Therefore no king, lord, or ruler has ever asked such things of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. It is a difficult thing that the king requests, and there is no other who can tell it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. For this reason, the king was angry and very furious and gave the command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went out and they began killing the wise men and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree from the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the decision known to Daniel. So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time, that he might tell the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to the house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning the secret, so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's demand. Therefore Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king, and I will tell the king the interpretation. Then Arioch quickly brought Daniel before the king and said thus to him, I have found a man of the captors of Judah who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed were these. As for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while on your beds about what would come to pass after this, and he who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. As for me, this secret has not been revealed to me, because I have more wisdom than anyone living, but for our sakes who make known the interpretation to the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your heart. 
You, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. The image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer fresh, freshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream. Now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. You, O king, are a king of kings, for the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, of the beasts of the field and the birds of the heaven, he has given them into your hand and has made you ruler over them all. You are of his head of gold. But after you shall arise another kingdom, inferior to yours, then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything. And like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. Whereas you saw the feet and toes, partly potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of a mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his feet, prostrate before that Daniel, and commanded that they should present an offering to him, an incense to him. The king answered Daniel and said, Truly your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, uh, and a revealer of secrets, since you could reveal this secret. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts, and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon, and chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. And also Daniel petitioned the king, and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. When I and Rosie go on holidays, um, one of the things we really like doing is going on circular walks. Rosie gets all these books, and uh, someone's worked out a nice walk, and you sort of start here, and you go around all these different coastal footpaths, and... You don't have to sort of stop and turn back. You, you, back, you end up where you were. And they're, they're great walks. We often do them. And Rosie says at the end, Shall I, should I, I'd like to do that walk again. Uh, last year we did one. And it started in Aberdaran. If you know Aberdaran, it's in North Wales. It's on the end of the Clin Peninsula. And it started at sea level. And, and these books, they show a little path. They don't actually, they're only in 2D. Yeah, and... and about a third of the way around the, the walk, we've climbed Everest. And, and we've just reached the top of this from sea level. You know, and we're just, oh boy, we're feeling pretty whacked out. And we get the book out, where are we going next? And we look across, and there's another hill. <laughs> and that's where we've got to go next. And, uh, and then basically, to get to that hill, we had to go all the way back down to sea level. <clears throat> 
the guy who wrote the book really wasn't, this wasn't his best walk. And uh, actually, when we got to the end of this one, none of us said, well, I'd like to do that one again, you know. Um, And the point is this, you know, sometimes in life, the route to the next peak is through a deep valley. And I think we see that in Daniel, don't we? And we see often uh, there's a valley and then there's a mountain top and then there's another valley and another mountain top. And we see that uh, over and over again. And I don't know whether your experience is, is that, but mine is certainly that, that as we go through our Christian lives, there are mountain tops and there are valleys. And often, the, the route to the next peak is through a valley. And here we have Daniel and his friends. They're refugees. They're living in a foreign country at 600 B.C., And in chapter one, we found out last night that they've been selected to become government officials, to be trained, and they have to step out in faith and trust God. There's there's issues of compromise. And then we come to chapter two, and Daniel is probably a very, very junior civil servant, you know, working in some back office of the equivalent of Whitehall. You know, some little tiny office, probably the department of small drains. Or um, I've got a friend who works for the Welsh Assembly, and, and he's in the department of fly tipping. You know, it's that really <laughs> top level department. And Daniel is certainly, it doesn't seem like he gets summoned before the king, you know, as all the, yeah, he's just this junior guy, and an ordinary day, the turns into tragedy. I work with a man who's a Dutchman. He's married to an English lady, lived in the UK for many years. Lovely Christian man. Ten years ago, between Christmas and New Year, his, his only child, his daughter, who's 19 years old, got in her car and drove from their home to visit a friend. And about an hour and a half later, the friend rang up and said, Gemma's not turned up. And Jan jumped in his car and drove just the two miles, heading towards the two miles to where her friend lived. I went round a bend, and there's just emergency service, blue flashing lights, and somehow Gemma had skidded off the road and was killed. You're going through life, and tough times come, and that's what we find In Daniel's chapter 2. Psalm 115 verse 3 says this. But our God is in the heavens. And he does whatever he pleases. We're going to look at this passage. And uh, I think we have to turn that on. And uh, I want us just to look quickly at the events. Just so we're all on the same sheet. And what we find is, number one, the king has a dream that significantly disturbs him. It's just not any ordinary dream. And verse 3, we find he really wants to know what this dream means. So, verse 2, he summons his advisors who claim, you know, these, these are all the astrologers and these are the guys who've been predicting the future. Um, but he so much wants to know the truth that he tests them. And I guess he's probably been thinking, hmm, 
I wonder if they really do know the truth. How can I really know? It's so important to me that I know what this dream means. I don't want them just to guess at it. And so the king, uh, he operates on the, uh, the management style of big carrot, big stick um, you know, method. So he, he basically says, uh, look, if you can tell me what I dreamed and tell me the meaning, you will be incredibly wealthy. I'll promote you. But if you can't, I'm going to tear you into bits and pieces and uh, I'm going to destroy your, your houses. And, you know, you kind of wonder whether it worked today or don't you really in some places. Um, uh, maybe we could have a word with a sports direct guy. Maybe that would work for him. Um, but anyway, the big incentive, big carrot stick, and um, they can't answer the king. He's furious. He condemns them to death, just outright like that. So, verse 13, Daniel's probably in his little back office, department of smaller drains, and uh, knock on the door. Um, what do you want? Can I help you? Well, actually, we've come to kill you. Oh, uh, can you imagine? Um, and so Daniel, uh, he goes into the king and asks for time to find the answer to the dream. He goes home, shares with his friends, gets his three friends praying, and God reveals that night the dream and its meaning to Daniel. Um, the first thing Daniel does is praise. He gives thanks to God. Um, then he goes and stops the killing. And then finally he goes into the king, verse 27, and explains its meaning. And he explains that God is, is revealing himself and history to the king. And that's what's happening here. And then verse 47, God is glorified. And then finally, Daniel and his friends are elevated to significant positions of influence. So that's Daniel chapter 2 in a nutshell. Let's very quickly um, look at what the outcomes are. You know, they start at the beginning of the chapter. But what, what has happened by the end of the chapter? Well, first of all, we find that the death of many and the ruin of their families is averted. You know, that's an incredible thing, isn't it? Um, in this 30-hour period, many, many families were going to be affected and turfed out of their homes, their homes destroyed, left, left destitute. People were going to be killed, and, and, and that disaster is averted. Secondly, we find in verse 47, a proud, arrogant king is humbled and acknowledges the one true God. Isn't that an amazing thing as well? That's incredible. This is the ruling king of the whole world. And he's brought to the point in a 30-hour period of acknowledging. Sometimes we think, could our government change? Well, our God can do it, can't he? And then thirdly, God demonstrates his total control of events. And we find he does that on a macro level. Yeah, the next thousands of years, certainly hundreds of years, are made known. And then they're made known to us. And we get this amazing picture, don't we? 
and uh, we could get caught up in what it, you know the top is very clear it gets a little bit more uh, misty as you go down but the very clear picture the big picture is clear isn't it we also see that God is in control on a micro level God is God is revealing history but he's also intervening in the life of individuals. And individuals are praying and God is answering. And that's incredible. And then, fourthly, we find that Daniel and his three friends are elevated to positions of significant influence by the end of this chapter. What could have got Daniel? Can you imagine how many years of minor promotions for him to get to any position of influence? And yet, in 30 hours, our God has moved him from that back little office to being prime minister. I think of Lord Shaftesbury. I don't know if you've ever read the biography of Lord Shaftesbury. You know, God put a man in a position and he used that position. And just imagine the influence on society that Daniel and his three friends had. Just imagine the injustice that stopped and the, the corruption that stopped. Just imagine the impact on on daily people's lives as good rulers made good rules and and, and governed well. The impact on on that time, we don't know the details, but it must have been incredibly significant. So, that's an overview, a big picture view of this passage. What are the lessons for us? And uh, very quickly, uh, the first one is this. Trusting God when your world gets rocked. For Daniel, this day begins as an ordinary day, doesn't it? I don't know, he got up, we know that he prayed. Prayed three times a day. He would have got up and had prayed and then maybe had his breakfast and maybe caught the 745 donkey into the office or whatever they had in those days. And there he is, he's working away in his little department of the lesser drains. Knock on your door. Can I help you? And suddenly his world is rocked, isn't it? I don't know about you. Um, I guess as I look out, there'll be people here whose world is rocked at this moment. There'll be certainly those who've had their world rocked through various things. And there'll be those of us who will continue at various times in our lives, to have our worlds rocked. I remember for me, as sitting down as a family just a few years ago, and we're having lunch on a Saturday, and there's a knock on the door, and we go and open the front door, and there's someone sort of fairly well-dressed. Can you sign for this? Signed receipt of it. We open it up, and it says, you're fired. Finished. Don't come into the office ever again. Hmm. That rocked our world. Um, I remember going round to visit a friend whose daughter had just tragically died. And I knocked on his door and his very first words to me as as I opened the door to me, he said, I've just come back from the hospital myself and they've told me I've got three months to live. And they were very accurate. 
Three months later, Frank was dead. Or, 9th of March, 1994, I had a friend ring up, and uh, he was American, and he said, uh, Jason, he said, I'm flying in from America on Sunday morning. I'll hire a car and come to church with you. And I thought, oh, I don't really want him hiring a car. So I said, uh, okay, well, I'll come down and pick you up from Heathrow. He said, oh, he said, that's great. I'll buy you breakfast. And I, oh, I don't really want you to buy me breakfast on a Sunday. So I went out on a Saturday and, and I got some croissants and, you know, whatever you get and made a little hamper up and a flask of tea. I thought, oh, does he drink tea or a flask of coffee as well? And got it all in this little hamper. Go down to London Heathrow and, um, uh, and I was actually speaking in a church somewhere um, south of Leicester. So it worked out quite well. And there I am, about 8 o'clock in the morning. And something definitely is wrong, because there's hardly anyone coming out through the arrivals gate. So I'm right in, parked. And then there's this announcement. And it said, um, the IRA has just fired a mortar bomb onto the building that you're in. We'll let you know what to do in a moment. (laughs) I'm looking around. Most people went to the windows to look out. I went and found a steel beam to stand (laughs) next to. Turned towards it and faced this beam. I thought, you know, if it's going to go bang. I thought, I'm either going to have a really good sermon illustration or going to be in heaven. (laughs) Um, I don't know what's rocked your world. But we can be going through life, can't we? Everything's fine. And in a moment, things change. You get a phone call. A bereavement, a tragedy, a failure. Just a normal day and your life is turned upside down and maybe changed forever. And that's what happens to Daniel. And notice the following. Daniel trusts in his God. Verse 16. uh, It says, And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Daniel didn't say, Well, maybe I can get you the answer. He went in and said, I can get you the answer because I have access to the God of gods. Verse 28, when he's standing before the king, he he says, uh, verse 27, No wise men and enchanters and magicians or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who can. We may not be able to deal and cope with what's coming. But there is a God who can. And we need to keep trusting in our God when trials come, don't we? My God can. Your God can. And then secondly, Daniel chapter 2 teaches us that God is in control. We've, we've thought about, on a macro level, God is in control of history. The whole dream takes us through the unfolding history of many hundreds of years. And, and we could get all caught up on what the toes are and what the clay is, but, but here's the big picture. God is in control of history, and Christ is going to set up a kingdom that will last forever and overthrow all of those and that all those kingdoms will disappear. Isn't that the big picture? God is in control and he's got a plan. And it's a good plan. 
And we see this, don't we? God cares and shows us in every detail. Daniel's prayer is answered. And what seems a tragedy for God, for, for man is a, is a triumph for God. 30 hours later, Daniel and his friends are alive and well and in positions of incredible influence. Do you remember the disciples and Jesus said to them, he said, look, let's get into that boat and let's cross over to the other side. Who told them to get into the boat? Jesus. Who was in the boat with them? Jesus. And what happened? An incredible storm came, didn't it? But Jesus was in the storm with them. And when they came out the other side, they knew God in a better way. And they were able to trust him for the future. God is on the throne. We can trust him when our worlds get rocked. Then secondly, keeping our priorities right in difficult times. We see this from Daniel. Um, This is really important. Most of us are living really complex lives. And keeping our priorities right is really important, isn't it? Look at what Daniel did when this happened. Verse 17, we, we find he goes and prays. Verse 17 as well, he gets others praying with him. Verse 20, when God reveals the dream, I think if that was me, yeah, God revealed the dream, I'd be putting my, uh, my fleece on and my jeans on, I'd be running down the king, we know the answer. But the first thing Daniel does is praise. And he prays this glorious prayer, doesn't he? Oh God, you are the God. And then he still doesn't go to the king because the next thing he does, he was so concerned for others, verse 24 and uh, later on in 49, we see his concern for others overcomes those. We see Daniel got his priorities right. And we see this not only in this chapter, we see it through the whole of Daniel's life. There was once a a professor and he was running a class on time management and he got a great big glass tumbler. And he said, I want to give you an illustration on time. And he got some big rocks and he he filled it up and he he pushed them down. And he said, is the jar full? And some people said, "Mm, yeah, I think so, it's full. Don't think you get another rock in. So hang on a minute. And then he got this bag of gravel and he tipped the gravel on and sort of all the gravel went down between the cracks of the rocks. And he tipped about half a bag of gravel in. And he said, is the glass full? And uh, some people were beginning to catch on. They said, "Mm, maybe not. So he got a bag of sand. And he tipped the bag of sand, heaped it up, and then shook the jar. And all the grains of sand went all the way down. Is the jar full? And uh, people said, well, maybe not. And he pulled out a, a, a jug of water and he was able to pour about five litres of water into this. Is the jar full? People said, yes. So what's the lessons? And uh, so somebody said, well, you know, one of the lessons is you can always get a bit more in. You know, and um, you can always squeeze a bit more into your life. And people came up with various various you know, ideas of what the lessons were. The professor said, here's the big lesson. He said, if you didn't put the big rocks in first, you'd never get them in. If you didn't put the big rocks in first, you'd never get them in. 
What should our priorities be in our lives? We see Daniel had his priorities right. Have I, have you got your priorities right? What are our big rocks? Well, surely one of them is our quiet time, isn't it? Just that daily morning meeting with God. Great to do on beach missions. Great to do this weekend. How are you doing in your daily living? Busy life? Well, that's one we need to get in. What about prayer with others? Prayer meetings. Do you know, I think we either believe in prayer, and we believe prayer is important, or we don't. It's as simple as that, isn't it? If we believe prayer works and prayer is important, we should be praying as much as we can. Or does your life or my life show that actually we don't really believe in prayer by just the way we live? How much are you praying? How much are you prioritising that? What about other people? Daniel was concerned even for those who opposed God. You think of the people that Daniel rushed out to rescue. They were the people who were promoting witchcraft in a way, weren't they? And Daniel went and rescued them. They were probably the people who threw his pals into the fiery furnace and plotted against him to get him put in the lion's den. But Daniel had a massive concern for those people. How are you doing in meeting other people's needs? Sharing Jesus. I remember hearing of a pastor and a guy came up to him at, um, he'd been preaching on some of these things. And he said, Pastor, you just don't understand how busy my life is. And how little time I have, I'm just maxed out. And the pastor said this. He said, my experience is this. Most people prioritise the things that matter most to them. Most people prioritise the things that matter most to them. If someone else was to look at your life, what would they say are your priorities? If they look from the outside, Because that's the real key here, isn't it? And when we get to the end of our lives, no one is going to be saying, I wish I'd spent more time at the office. Or I wish I'd got more qualifications. Or I wish I'd spent more time shopping. Or I wish I'd spent more time on social media. I wish I'd gotten more stuff. I wish I'd got that extra promotion. But I think, Some of us will be saying, I wish I'd had different priorities. What are the priorities you need to change and I need to change in my lives? And then, thirdly, speaking for God, speaking up for God in a tough world. Daniel speaks up for God. He's incredibly bold, isn't he? Verse 28, he says, but there is a God in heaven who can Verse 37, he says about the king, to whom, the God, to whom God has given the kingdom, the might and the glory. He's saying, God has given you the position that you're in, O king. Verse 45, he says, a great God has made known to the king. 
And then verse 49. When uh, Daniel has survived and the king has promoted him. Yeah, and this king's fairly autocratic. (laughs) Daniel then speaks up and says, hey, I've got three friends. Can you promote them as well? Do you know the king could have just, "Ah, get out of my, you know, you know, he could have thrown him out, couldn't he? But he spoke up. This, he spoke the whole truth. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 15 says this. We need to be those who speak the truth in love. And love without truth is hypocrisy, isn't it? How could we... Demonstrate love to people, care for people, and never get around to telling them the truth. That would be just hypocrisy, wouldn't it? I think there's a danger in the church, uh, you know, that we we can either swing that way to uh, love without truth, or we can swing the other way to truth without love. Because truth without love is brutal, isn't it? You're going to hell. And we need truth with love. This year on Benthlake Beach, uh, at the end of the week, and I'm sure you had it on your teams, people coming up and just saying, we felt so loved because this team had been a servant on the beach, but they'd spoken the truth as well. They'd painted faces and done crafts and given balloons out and, and, and given the children a great time and served hot dogs. They'd loved people but they shared the truth as well. We need to be those who speak up for God. How are you doing in speaking up for God? Why not go and get some of those tracks and say, a track today as a minimum and challenge yourself to do that. And then lastly, stepping out in faith and trusting God even when it's tough. There's this ongoing theme in the book of Daniel. Chapter 1, Daniel has to step out in faith and choose to eat vegetables instead of this meat because, I mean, going against God's law. Chapter 2, when faced with disaster, Daniel steps out and goes into the presence of the king. Chapter 3, when faced with the fiery furnace, they stepped in and trusted God, didn't they? Chapter 6, when faced with the threat of lions, giant... Daniel stepped out, trusted God, and carried on praying. Do you see the theme? Hebrews 11, the great chapter on the real, on real faith, shows that when our faith is real, we will demonstrate it in the way we live. It will make a difference in our lives. When I was 19, before I ever got involved in beach missions, I didn't even know there was a beach missions, actually, at that point. It's terrible, yeah. Uh, it's because Roger's fault, because he didn't come earlier to tell us about it. So I'll have a word with him afterwards. I, I went to a Christian conference, a bit like this, but not quite so many people. Never been to anything like it. And I, I just loved the teaching. At the end of it, I prayed a prayer. And before I tell you the prayer, I need to tell you that I'd sort of grown up, and I was never anyone out the front. If people asked me to give the hymn books out on the door, I, you know, go bright red. Start, you know, I just couldn't do it. Or take the, the offering. We used to have offering bags in those days. And, and certainly, you know, um, 
giving your testimony. I, I managed to give my testimony at my baptism, um, but uh, along with about six others. Um, and reading the Bible out in the pool, we couldn't have done that, or praying, or doing anything like that. The end of this conference up in Scotland, I prayed a prayer. And the prayer was this. Oh God, I feel I've let you down. I've said no so many times. So whatever you ask me to do next, I will say yes. Hmm. God's got a really good sense of humour, hasn't he? (laughs) Do you know, about three weeks later, our youth leader came along. And I'd never been asked to do anything like this. And our youth leader came along and said, the young people have been asked to take a service at this little mission hall. Okay, you know. Maybe read the Bible. I'm up for that. She said, and we'd like you to preach the sermon, Jason. (laughs) Oh, no. And I I somehow said yes. Our young people's group is about 20 people, about 20 Christian young people. But on a Friday and Saturday night, we got lots of non-Christians. We had about a group of about 65 young people. When they heard that I was speaking, they never came on a Sunday, but they were in, you know. <laughs> this little mission hall was packed to the seams. In fact, the non-Christians were running bets on how long, you know. Some were saying he wouldn't even make it into the pulpit, you know. <laughs> and then there were various bets that you could have for how long he would last. And um, for those who are interested, it was six and a half minutes. And it came out in one long stream with no gaps at um, even faster than Paul was read that scripture amazingly well. And it was on Samson. I don't think it was a very great sermon. Um, But actually a lot of people came to church because of it. And people staggered. And for me, it was an incredible step of trusting God and seeing that God could bring me through. And... Um, I'm just wondering, what is it where you need to step out in faith and trust God? What area is it? What about in the area of serving? Are you holding back from trusting God? Are you just saying, you know, I I don't think I could do it. But God can. We have a God who can. What about in the area of giving? Can you trust God to give the first 10% of all your money? And then trust God somehow to make the rest work out. And and to accept that's God's level of provision for you. What about giving more? Can you trust God in that area? What about in the area of commitment? Of just saying, oh God, I want to put you on the throne of my life. What about in the area of letting go of some things that are holding you back? And you just think, do you know what? I can't imagine life being as good as this if I let go of these things. Can you trust God that it will be better? Every time we trust God, God doesn't ever hold back any good things. He is trustworthy, isn't he? Stepping out in faith and trusting God even when it's tough. God has got a good plan. He is in control. And we can step out and faith and trust him. There's 
a little song about Daniel. Dare to be a Daniel. Dare to stand alone. Dare to have a purpose firm. Dare to make it known. Two of the verses say this. Standing by a purpose true. Heeding God's command. Honour them, the faithful few, all hail to Daniel's band. Mighty men are lost, daring not to stand. Who for God had been a host by joining Daniel's band?